basically we would just write the prayers uh you know that we had about an apartment and finances and all, all that jazz and we had put it away for like two years and we were cleaning out our closet the other day and we found them and we were just like reading and you know it was just a, a testimony to ourselves like how much god has done in our lives um, because we got everything that we prayed for the apartment finances car all of it and uh it was just it was just such a testimony to how faithful god was in our lives and is in our lives so i just wanted to share uh with you guys this verse uh proverbs 16 3 and NIV says, commit to the Lord whatever you do, and he will establish your plans. And uh, and it, it just really spoke to me, so I just want to pray. Lord, we thank you for everything that you've done in our lives, everything that you continue to do, and that you honor the desires of our hearts, Lord. Uh, we pray that we would just continue to put you you first so that our plans would honor you, and they would be, uh, our the sole purpose would be to honor you, Lord. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. The greatest day, the greatest day in history. At this meeting, you have rescued me. Sing it out, Jesus is alive. Empty cross, empty cross, the empty grave. Life eternal, you have won the day. Shout it out, Jesus is alive. Whoa, he's alive. Happy day, I'll never be the same. 
What a glorious day. What a glorious way. Cup of praise to the Lord this morning. Yo! 
the spirit this morning just begin to speak in tongues Lord we need you we're desperate for you desperate for you desperate for you Making all things work for your good, or is it just a song to you? Come on, is he not doing it today? Is he not doing it? Come on.
Come on, if you're waiting for something to shift in the atmosphere, something's got to shift in your heart right now and in your praise. Come on. For those of you who bared the cold weather to come here to worship God, come on, this is your opportunity. Pour it out before the Lord. Sing your own song. Sing your own praise. Lift up a prayer to the Lord this morning right now. Come on, make it personal. Make a long to make you make long. Make all things work. Make all things work for my good. You know this song is talking about a promise. You know this is a promise. There's many promises in the Bible that God makes. And this song is singing of it. You make all things work for my good. You can take that to the bank. And no matter what the situation will look like, no matter what your bank account looks like, no matter what your family situations look like, you can take it to the bank that he makes all things work together for your good. You can trust on that. You can put your faith on that. There may be some people in here this morning where you can't say that, man, God, I don't really see your love making it, making it for me, God, or really doing anything right now. But you need to go back to your Bible and look to that promise that you make all things work together for my good. So I want you right now in an attitude of prayer to sing that over any situation right now that you're facing. Whether it's somebody that you want to see saved, whether it be financial hardship, come on, whether it be struggles that you're facing, whatever it is, come on, let's sing that over there. You make all things work together. You make all things work together for my good. Yes, you make all things work together for my good. Yes, you make all things work together for my good. You make all things work together for my Come on, let's sing it till you believe it. You make all things work together for my Yes, you make, you make all things. Work together for my you make you make all things work together for my Yes you do Lord you make all things work together for my you make you make all things work together for
speak peace so unexplainable I I can hardly think as a call deeper still as you call me deeper still as you call me deeper still into love 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 you're a good good father it's who you are in all of your ways. This morning we thank you, dear God, as we sing and we meditate on this song. You're a good, good father. You never change. You're not like man that you should lie. You're not like us. You are perfect. You are above and you are set apart. And this morning we want to take some time to meditate on how good of a father you have been to us. So right now, congregation, as we sing this song, as the band sing, leads us in the song one more time, I want you to meditate in your heart. I want you to think about how God has shown himself to be a good father in your life. How in times where you maybe did not deserve his mercy and grace, he was there for you. In times where you ignored his instruction, he was still there. 
his Holy Spirit there to guide you. In times where maybe you put yourself in a dangerous situation, but the good Father made a way for you. There's countless ways he's shown himself to be a good Father. Think about personally in your life right now. Meditate on those good things and worship the King as you, as you think about who he has been in your life. The fact that we're here this morning to worship him because he's drawn us. He's guided us to him. He's made a way for us that shows a good father, that shows that in our wickedness, in our sin, he still drew us to him. He was still willing to forgive us. He was still willing to give us a second chance. And for that, we know that he's a good father. So one more time, let's sing this song as we meditate on those things God has done in our lives. It's who you are. It's who you are. you're our lover you are the lover of our souls and you've been after us because you are a good father you are loved dear God you define what love is and although we did not deserve it you gave it to us a good father who never leaves who never forsakes when times get hard a good father who's able to see the good even though there's so much bad around father we thank you we thank you for, for leading us. We thank you for being that good father, that good parent, dear God. Not like earthly parents, dear God. Father, at one day they will leave and they will forsake us, dear God, but you never leave. Hallelujah. Receive the glory and the adoration this morning. We're here to meet with you. We're here to hear a word from you. So Holy Spirit, we ask that you take over. We ask that if there's anyone in this room who does not know you as Lord and Savior, today they will be saved. Today they will acknowledge that love of a father in their lives. That you've always been there. And every step of the way you've been leading them and guiding them towards you. In Jesus' name. And everybody said amen and amen. Come on. God is so good. Please greet your neighbor and just make find your seat. So good to have you all here with us on a Sunday morning. God is so good and merciful to us. 
It is cold outside, and you all made your way out to come hear a word from God. So he's going to meet you here. He sees your sacrifice, and get ready. Are you guys ready? All right, I want to take this time to all the King's kids can make your way to the back. Everyone else, please turn with me in your Bibles to 1 John 4, 9 through 10. I want to share the gospel of Jesus Christ. God is love. He is a good father. And so many people don't understand that, and they choose to reject this truth of how God loves us. And, God, and maybe you've been through hard times. Maybe you haven't experienced a perfect life and had a perfect upbringing or a perfect marriage and so on and so forth. And you say, God has never shown his love to me. Where has God been all my life? And you can make that argument but the Bible has made it clear on how God has shown his love for us. 1 John 4, 9 through 10 says, In this, the love of God was made manifest. In this, the love of God was made manifest among us. That God sent his only son into the world so that we might live through him. In this love, not that we have loved God, but that he loved us and had sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. Amen? How did God show his love for us? At one point, we did not love God. Our actions proved to be the complete opposite, and they showed hatred towards God. The Bible calls us enemies of God when we don't live for him. But while we were still sinners and showing God our hatred towards him, he sent his only son to stand in our place, to take the punishment that we deserved as sinners for us. He made a way for us, each and every one of us, so that we would not have to suffer the consequences for our sins. And that is hell, my friends. For those who don't know Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior, your sin stands against you. And the only place that God has prepared for those who have sinned and have not made right with God is hell, is damnation, and that does not sound pretty. And sometimes we avoid it, and we don't understand the wrath of God. We like to focus on just love. He loves and he loves without understanding that he's also a judge, and he will bring forth justice to those who have not been made right. And just yesterday, it came to the realization that I'm not so quick to just say those words about hell. And we always want to focus on, on the love of God and there's mercy and there's grace. But I was sitting in the car with my son waiting for my husband to come out of the store. And I'm watching this video. And it's this, it was a detestable, gross video, and I, but I watched it. And it's, this mom is going up to her son and she's choking him to send to her baby's father. I don't know if you've seen it. Not just once, but on multiple days. And she's choking him in his sleep, and the son is trying to cry out and say, Mommy, because who's supposed to protect this child but his mom? The one harming, and that sounds so wicked, and even right now I see your faces, and that sounds, we would all say that woman deserves hell, does she not? <clears throat> My son said, Are you watching a bad video, Mommy? You know, because we tell them don't watch bad things. And I said, yes, somebody's doing something bad. And, and I said, and she needs to repent or she's going to hell. And it was so quick for me to just throw that, just hell. She's going to hell. 
And it's true. She, if she does not get right and get the help that she deserves for her mind here on this earth, she will go and perish in hell. But my friends, our sin is not any worse in the eyes of God. Well, we would be so quick to point to that lady and cast her into the lake of fire. We say, she deserves that, but I don't. And we have it wrong. Our sin stands against us. And there may have not been a camera following us around while we sinned, but God is the witness. The omniscient God, the omnipresent God was there when you and I sinned against him. And the good news is we don't have to suffer the consequences for our sin because love has made its way into this world and his name is Jesus. And he took that punishment for you and I that if we would repent and turn away from our sin, we would have eternal life. This life is short. The things we hold on to, they, they are temporary. But there is an eternal life. And these short years here on this earth will determine eternity. They will determine where you spend. Will you receive the love of God? Will you receive the mercy of God? Or will you reject it? Love has made its way here into this world. It's made itself manifest among us. And his name is Jesus. If you don't know him as the Lord and Savior, today is the day for your salvation. Amen? Amen. Please stand up to your feet. We're going to pray. If that's you and you're saying, I need Jesus. I want to repent for my sins. And I want to live the life through him that he has called me to. Our prayer workers are here, Bertha and Joselito. They want to pray with you. And they want to, to get you connected so that you can learn how to live like Jesus according to the word of God. Amen? Let's pray. Father God, we thank you so much. We thank you for the love that's made its way, dear God, for sending your one, its only son to die on the cross for our sins. That you, dear God, do not hold our sin against us any longer when we come and we call on the name of Jesus Christ. We thank you that we can be born again, that our sinful nature dies, and we live according to, to Christ's nature. Father God, I, I pray for born-again spirits. I pray for new creations in this room. I pray for a room of believers, dear God, who are set ablaze for you, that they would be so touched and transformed. Today, in this service, God, I ask you, and they would never be the same again. That their sin would be forgiven in your sight. And they would receive true life and eternal life. In Jesus' name we pray. And everybody said amen and amen. God is so good. And you know what? If he did it in my life where I thought I was okay and I thought that I didn't need Jesus and I was a good person. But he changed and transformed me. A complete 180. Never again the same. He can do it in your life. Amen? He is good. Right now we're going to take this time to recite our confession of faith. This is our biblical worldview. This is what we believe and we stand on. And so we're going to recite this together with, with some passion, all right? I want to hear you guys loud and clear as we declare this. One, two, three. I believe in one God and creator who is the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. The Father who so loved the world the Son who purchased my salvation in his death, burial, and resurrection, and the Holy Spirit who makes me new and abides in me forever. 
I believe in the perfect Holy Bible that reveals God's purposes and plans for my life. I believe in the second coming of Jesus who will judge the living and the dead. I believe in the eternal reward of believers in Jesus and the eternal punishment for all unbelievers in Jesus. I believe in the United Church of Jesus Christ built upon apostles and prophets, elders and deacons in which the gates of hell shall not prevail. I believe in the salvation for all mankind. It is by faith alone, in Christ alone, by God's grace alone, and for the glory of God alone. Amen and amen. Please take some time. Greet your neighbor. Meet somebody new. If you need prayer, our prayer workers are right up here for you.
All right, who's having fun loving on each other today? You guys excited to be at MPI? Welcome to Metro Praise International. We're so excited to see all of you. Thank you for joining us today and honoring the Lord coming out in these freezing temperatures. Why don't you guys give your neighbor a high five and say you're awesome. We are brave Chicagoans. After the past two winters, this is like nothing, right? Like piece of cake. Just put on an extra layer and we are all good. Our services here at MPI are every Sunday at 10 a.m. and 1 p.m. That is our family service where we have King's Kids for our children, infant to 11 years old. And every Friday we have Elevate at 7 p.m. for our youth from 11 to 18 years old. They gather together every week. They're blowing up their high schools. They're just loving Jesus. And so if you know any teenagers in that age group, this is where they got to be on Friday night. So just invite them and bring them on by. Here at MPI, we have a vision, a strategy, and a goal. Our vision is loving God and loving people from day one. When this church started, that has not changed. Loving God and loving people. And all this month, our sermon series is about being chosen. And we're going through what this vision means, about what it means to love God, what it means to love people. And how many lo lovers of God do I have in this place? Lovers of people, come on. The two greatest commandments that Jesus gave to us. And then our strategy is connect, mentor, and send. We want to connect you to our life groups, mentor you through our 101 and 201 books. And then we want to send you out to do evangelism. And our goal is to have 100,000 disciples in Chicago with 50 churches and 500 around the world. If you want to be a part of that, say amen. Welcome to the revolution. Yes. So this is how you connect. We want you to connect here at MPI through our life groups. If you turn your hand out around, you'll see the whole schedule of what's happening for this quarter, January, February, March. That's what's happening. You can look at the full schedule of times and places. This is what's happening this week. Kicking it off today is our marriage life group. Come on, married folk. We want to see you come on out. Child care is provided. 5 p.m. meeting at the church now. Very convenient. It's an awesome place to be. Tuesday, we have our uh, the Resistance Elevate Life Group, 11 to 18 years old, 6 p.m. at the church. Wednesday, Righteously Redeemed, 11 to 18 years old, 6 p.m. There's that address. Wednesday, King's Kids, infant to 11 years old, 6.30 at the church. You want your children to be there. We have the best children's workers on the planet. Thursday, Gang Outreach, 18 years and up, 7 p.m., our, our city needs Jesus, guys, and that's just one of the many ways that we are doing it. So if you have a heart for that, meet those guys and girls and just be a, a blessing. A go out and preach the gospel to these young guys and girls who need Jesus so desperately. Every Friday, we have two adult Bible studies for you. One is at the Goveas. One is at the Vivid's house. Come on. 18 years and up, 7 p.m. There's the address. Get connected. Look to your neighbor. Say, get connected. Look to your other neighbors, say, get connected. Find a life group. Then we want to mentor you through our 101 and 201. The 101 book is Welcome to Your New Life. We have leaders ready to take you through this book one-on-one. -on -one. They want to walk through this journey of you living for Jesus and getting closer to Jesus and to answer your questions. And then we have a 201 class, and that's Disciples That Make Disciples. We have a class on Sunday mornings with Pastor Jared. We have a Thursday evening class with Pastor Ellie. That is where we train you to be a leader in the church, to one day be a deacon uh, or an elder. And so we believe that every believer should be a leader because there's too many people around us dying and going to hell. There's too much happening in the city of Chicago alone 
for us not to rise up and say, we're going to win people for Jesus. That we want to send you out to do evangelism on the streets every Saturday from 5 to 8. We are preaching the gospel on the streets. That's where we want to train you to do that. If you're scared, if you're nervous, if you don't know how to answer tough Bible questions, that's where you're going to learn. Every one of our life groups have evangelism in them in some form or fashion. This is where you get trained. Meet these warriors on the streets and preach the gospel. The Bible says that we should be ready to give an answer for the hope that we have to be ready in season and out of season. So go out there and be with them. So at MPI, we have a vision, a strategy, a goal, vision of loving God, loving people, strategy, connect, mentor, and send, and a goal of 100,000 disciples in Chicago. Chicago with 50 churches and 500 around the world. Make some noise. Woo. We're just so blessed that we get to do this with you guys. Amen. Here at MPI, we believe in tithes and offerings. We're going to get into the lesson in just a little bit, but a tithe is 10% of your total income given regularly and faithfully to the church. We designate our offering towards two places. One is towards missions where we give to various mission projects throughout the years. Uh, throughout the year and then towards our building fund which we are currently in to raise new band equipment so we thank you for being faithful first to the lord and to his church because without without everybody doing our part we can't get stuff done there's a lot of kingdom business to to get done and so we do that faithfully before the lord and it starts with our finances we give our lives as a living sacrifice so we're going to get into our lesson for today in the disciples giving book you can turn to the website if you would like, givingbook.org. It's a 52-lesson book for 52 weeks out of the year. It's all about tithes and offerings. And so it's just been a blessing to us. Joe actually wrote the book. We are on section one about tithes. Lesson three today is the tithe was established in the law of Moses. Definition of a tithe is 10% of our total income given to God faithfully. Somebody say faithfully. Let's read in Leviticus 27, 30 through 34. If you're ready, say amen. A tithe of everything from the land, whether grain from the soil or fruit from the trees, belongs to the Lord. It is holy to the Lord. Whoever would redeem any of their tithe must add a fifth of the value to it. Every tithe of the herd and flock, every tenth animal that passes under the shepherd's rod will be holy to the Lord. No one may pick out the good from the bad or make any substitution. If anyone does make a substitution, both the animal and its substitute become holy and cannot be redeemed. These are the commands the Lord gave Moses at Mount Sinai for the Israelites. God was very serious about the commands that he gave to his people. And he used Moses to teach it to them. And this principle has been passed down even to us. So here are the two main points. Number one, the tithe represents our best. The people of Israel received strict instructions regarding tithing. They were to give God their best, both in agriculture and livestock. So God doesn't want our leftovers. He never wanted a crippled animal. They couldn't give him a, a blind animal from their flock. They had to be the best. And for many of the different types of offerings and sacrifices they had to do, it had to be the firstborn. And so when we learned with Cain and Abel, the reason why Cain's offering was rejected was because it was his leftovers. A lot of people think it's because he didn't give meat and he brought fruits and vegetables, but that's not true. It's because Cain gave him the leftovers. He gave them the bad stuff. 
and Abel gave him the best. And that's what God expects of us. Not the leftover pennies from our bank account after we get paid. Okay, it's Friday. We get our paycheck. He wants the first fruit. He wants what's right on the top. That's number one. That, the tithe and offering gets separated before we pay our bills, before, before we put gas in the car, before we buy our groceries. The tithe belongs to the Lord. Number two, the tithe was commanded in the law of Moses. The instructions that Moses was given were God's commands, not just his suggestions. So we can't take this lightly. God is very serious about what he teaches us in his word and the leaders that he's using to teach it. And so we have to apply it to our lives and faithfulness and to be effective in all that God has called us to do. And here's the summary. Just as God commanded the Israelites to give a tenth of their best livestock and vegetation in the old covenant, we in the new covenant should give God 10% of our best income out of, the, our, out of our abundance, out of the hard work of our hands. Everything that we have is because of the Lord. And we've taught you guys before, 100% of it belongs to God. He could ask for all of it, and it would be, it would be worthy of us to give it to him. But 10% is fair whether you make $1,000 or whether you have $10. What's 10% of 1000 100. What's 10% of 100? $10. It's fair for everybody, no matter how much or how little you have. Um, here's the application number one. Understand that tithing is not just a suggestion, but it is a command from God. And number two, don't pick and choose when and how you give to God. Always give God your best 10% and do it faithfully. If you guys want to do that and you want to be faithful to the Lord, let's confess this together on the count of three. One, two, three. The tithe was implied with Cain and Abel, revealed to Abraham, established in the law of Moses, and is still relevant for today. It comes with a blessing and curse. It must be qualitative, a priority, and a faithful practice in our lives. The tithe advances the kingdom of God, tests our maturity, breaks the attitude of greed through obedience, is mandated for all, and brings us into partnership with God and his church. Please stand up to your feet this morning as we prepare to give to the Lord our very best. Our tithes and offerings. Again, MPI believes that a tithe is 10%. Offerings go towards missions and building fund. And we have four ways for you to give. Number one, in the bucket during the offering. So in just a moment, the buckets are going to be opened up. The altars will, uh, will be opened up to, to you to come and put your envelopes in there. In, uh, number two, in the wall-mounted drop boxes in the back on the brick walls. Number three, in the back with the credit or debit card. You can see Pastor Griselda for that. Number four, online with Chase QuickPay, PayPal, BillPay at mpichurch.org forward slash giving. Very convenient. Pick any way that's most convenient for you to do it, and we just want to do it with excellence. Amen? Here's our um, building fund for this year, the new band equipment. Thank you for all those that have started to give already, the pledges you've made before the Lord. If you haven't done so already, we want to encourage you to do it. Number one, pray and ask the Lord what you should give. Two, listen to the Holy Spirit. This is not something that we're going to beat over your head and say, give, give, give. This is an amount between you and the Lord. And we just want you guys to give generously. Number three, give generously and trust God that he's going to meet your needs. Let's recite this verse together. Philippians 4:18. And my God will meet all your needs according to his glorious riches in Christ Jesus. Let's pray. God, we thank you so much for your faithfulness, oh God. We thank you, Lord, that you have 
been faithful to us so that we in turn, God, can learn and, uh, and, and see what kind of an example you've been so that we could be faithful to you, God. And I pray that every single person in this room would make it a habit, would make it a principle in their lives, would do it faithfully, God, to give the tithe, to give the offering, to bring you glory, to reach the city and the nations for you so that the gospel could be preached to the ends of the earth, Lord. Use us, God, in our finances. Use us on our jobs to preach the gospel. I pray for blessing and prosperity, for raises and increase and promotions over your people, oh God. I pray that we would be an example, oh God, of, of, of your character, that we would be an example, Lord, of your faithfulness everywhere that we go, that people would see that there's something different in us, Lord. And I just pray that you would bless the gift and the giver this morning. Use it for your glory. I pray for wisdom as we use it, God, to reach Chicago, to pay the bills, to bring increase. Lord, and we will be careful to give you the glory in Jesus' name. And everybody said amen and amen. Come forward with joy, leaping and dancing as you give. Thank you for your generosity and thank you for your support. How many are ready to love God and people? Make some noise. Woo! Come on, come on, come on. Look at your neighbor and say, I love you. Look at your other neighbor and say, I love you more. No, I don't want to start any trouble. I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. Good to have you guys here. My name's Joe. I'm your friendly neighborhood pastor. So good to see y'all in the house. Negative 17 degree wind chill. And we are here. How many are here excited for Jesus? Amen. You are Chicagoans, man. This ain't going to stop you. It ain't going to stop you. You can take it. Amen. You can take it. How many got long johns on? You can take it, but you wear wearing long johns. You're smart, right? I, I see Armando Rosa in the back doing our translation. Uh, we passed by her as she was coming uh, from the bus, and we normally would pick her up when we would see her on cold days, but our whole van is full now. I got the whole van full, and I felt so bad. Everybody go, oh. I felt bad, but when I went back to apologize to her, she has it going on. She has like three sweaters on. She is like caliente. She's got it. Amen. <laughs> So here's the deal. Let me just do my little winter speech right now, okay? Unless we have a blizzard like we had last year that came on a Sunday where we get dumped with like 18 inches of snow. Unless that happens, we're always going to have church. It's always going to be nice and warm in here. We're going to have hot chocolate or coffee there for you in the back. And also, any of you who take public transportation or have cars that are not so reliable and you just don't want to get out there and wait for the bus or try to get that car to 
start. We have van transportation, okay? We will run those vans back and forth a hundred times if we have to, amen, for both services. So just remember, if you let our guys know, our campus pastors know, by 8 a.m. the first service or by 11 a.m. the second service, we're going to get you right here, amen? All right, let's open up our Bibles. You guys ready to look at your Bible? You guys have sang some songs. We've had some announcements. Now it's time to do it. Just get right to it. All right, come on. Let's open up our Bibles. I'm in a good mood because I, I was really, like, expecting a low turnout today. I was like, there may be, like, 20 people here. That's what I was thinking. Like, in my mind, in my heart, I was like, I don't know how tough our people are because I don't know. I mean, I just, I was doubting a little bit. I was looking at Facebook's posts. People were getting to sniffly whifflies. They were getting scared. And I'm like, oh, man, Jesus, help me. So in my heart, I was like, I'm ready for only a few people to show up. But today is awesome. I'm so excited. Now, I know I shouldn't, I know I shouldn't care about that. I should be just ready to preach to 10 like I would preach to 100, right? But we as pastors, we need your prayers too because we're sometimes insecure, okay? So you guys showed up, and I know you didn't show up for me. Who did you guys show up for? What's his name? So give me a J. J, you got your J, you got your. Now give me an E. <laughs> now give me an S-U-S. Now who does that spell? What's his name? All right, see, it's coming out. It's coming out. This is fun. John 15, verse 12. This is where it's at. We're learning about loving God and loving people. Look at it. My command is this, love each other as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this, than to lay down one's life for one's who? Friends. You are my friends, Jesus talking, if you do what I command. Thank you. I no longer call you servants because a servant does not know his master's business. Instead, I have called you what? Friends. Thank you for everything that I have learned from my father I have made known to you. Let's look at verse 16. You did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you so that you may go and bear fruit, fruit that will last, and so that whatever you ask in my name, the Father will give to you. This is my command. Say it together. One, two, three. Love each other. Amen. We're talking about loving people. When we look at the vision of our church and the strategy and the goal, this is a very important part of our spirituality here at Metro Praise International. And every year, I like to take January to refocus us as a church onto what we are doing. So this sermon series is called Chosen, and in that passage we just read, we learned that God chose us to bear much fruit. And in the prior verses, he said that I am the vine, you are the branches, and those branches that abide in him are going to bear fruit. They're going to get pruned from time to time. They're going to get their attitude snipped. They're going to get things taken out of their life that don't belong, but it's for the purpose of being a fruitful branch. And in the church, we need to look at our lives and say, am I doing what God wants me to do? Have I accepted his call upon my life? Because all of us are called to be a part of the church. The church is what God is building. God is not building a government. God is not building just a house, though he's loving your family. But the greatest thing that Christ is building is the church. And people in the church build great homes. I have a great family. My wife and I, we are doing awesome. You would just be amazed at how much this church tragedy of her ankle being broken in the accident has brought us together. It has definitely been used for the good of God. And our family, before my kids didn't do much around the house, our oldest is seven and our youngest is one, but now they're all doing chores. They're all doing stuff. And it brought that out. Okay, so bad can result in good when God's involved. Amen. 
But everybody track with this. God's building his church through families, through governments. When governments have Christian leadership and say, let us govern the land as we would want to be governed, treating others as we would want to be treated, that's a good government, not stealing, not being corrupt. That's what Christ is about. So that's what we're learning in this sermon series. And when you look at the heart of what we're doing here in this illustration, it's loving who? God and then loving people. And so we have to have that at the heart of what we do. And once again, that's not just for today in this building called the church. That's when the church leaves this building to go out and impact the world. So are you going to be the church on your job? They may not have hired you with that in mind, but if you bring Christian character and conduct, you're representing the church. Now think about this. Jesus said, I will build the church and the gates of hell will not prevail. And so for that to happen, you have to be successful on your job. You need a healthy and whole family. You need a strong community. For Christ to bring forth his kingdom, all of those things must be a part of it. But the heart of what it is is loving God and loving people. I don't put my job before God. I don't put my wife and kids before God. That doesn't mean I make an excuse to neglect them and go pray or go become a monk and let them be homeless. No, but when I put God first in my heart and my priority, I will put my family above everything else on this earth and be the best kind of father, the best kind of husband. Can I get an amen? Thank you. So when we're talking about loving God and people, we're talking about building Christ's church and doing what he asked us to do. And so when we look at the sermon series where we get the passage from, where Jesus is talking about, I didn't, uh, you didn't choose me, but I chose you, we're understanding that there is a call to be chosen. And we learned about that in the first week. And I just want to go over this again. Let's imagine Bethany's having a birthday party, and I invite all of you to Bethany's birthday party. All of you are invited, but only those who come come to the birthday party, accept the invitation, can get chosen to eat the birthday cake and ride the pony, okay? So if you don't accept the invitation, can you eat the birthday cake? No. Can you get chosen to ride the pony? No. And how many know that would be a cool birthday party, amen? And now think about this. God says, you didn't choose me. Jesus says, you didn't choose me. I chose you. But what does that mean? He just randomly kidnaps you. He comes up in a white van without any windows, and he says, hey, Marcel, come here. I got some cool stuff for you to look at. You, like, pop your head in there. And then he's like, angels, get him. We're going to heaven. We've kidnapped Marcel. How, how many think that God's a divine kidnapper? Does anybody think that? No. So when God is choosing you, ladies, look at me. God is not choosing you like that weird guy at the bar saying, I choose you to dance tonight. No, it's, it's not that. God is not that weirdy, okay? God is not the weirdy kidnapper. He's not the stalker. When he says, I choose you, this is what he says. He says, I invite the whole world, and I choose those who come and want to do my will willingly. Those who want to do God's will willingly. Not my will be done, but your will be done, God. And then God says, I choose you. And what that means is he initiates the calling. He initiates us to be in this relationship. So if you were to use the example, it's not him coming in a white van with angels to kidnap us. It's literally, as it says in the book of Revelation, him knocking at the door of your heart. 
and he invites you to dine with him. That is the revelation, uh, the, the thing that we get in Revelation, is that God is standing at the door of your heart, and he's knocking, he's inviting you to dinner, and if you come, then he chooses you at that dinner for all the blessings that he has for your life. Now, we understand that when it comes to salvation, but look at this passage again. It is not just talking about being saved. This is connected directly to the church. This is where he's talking to a group of disciples and what they're going to do. Look at verse 16. But I chose you and appointed you that you may just go to church on Sunday and have a good time. Is that what it says? That you may just be a nice person and, you know, get along with others in life? No. He says that you may go and bear fruit, fruit that will last. And so each one of you need to get your fruit on. Look at your neighbor say, it's time to get fruity. It's time to get fruity up in the church. It's time to get your fruit on. It's time to start bearing some fruit. It's time for you to start having some good attitudes coming out of you that impact others on your job that now want what you have. It's time to have that PMA, positive mental attitude, that impacts the way you go through things in life. It's time for you to be prosperous in your family. And prosperous doesn't just mean more greenbacks because there's a lot of people that have money that are getting divorced or cheating on their spouses or kids that are wild. Out. No, prosperity in the family means a husband that loves his wife and a wife that loves her husband and children that serve the Lord. If you can do that in a one-bedroom apartment with ten of you, that's awesome, amen? Because it's not more space and more cars and more clothes that make us fruitful. It's in our heart and our attitude with each other and God, amen? And so that's what we're talking about, and I want to catch everybody up because this is so important because when we come to the building called the church, we can sometimes get distracted and think, I'm only the church when I'm in the building of the church, and that's not true. You are God's chosen people appointed to bear fruit wherever you go. Before there was ever a building called the church, there was Jesus with his disciples. There was Jesus sitting on the mountainside, walking by the seashore of Galilee with his people, setting forth these standards for all walks of life, tax collectors, centurions, fishermen, you know, mothers. And, and, and you know, they even look at the book of Acts, there was clothing designers that served the Lord and, and lawyers, praise God for lawyers that served Jesus, amen. I believe Demas was a lawyer and other people in the Bible. It's like all of these different walks and and places in life, they're serving God. And that's what it means. And so putting it together with this sermon series, it's like, do you see yourself here being fruitful? So let's just look at this illustration. Do you see yourself doing this well here in this building? Because if you see yourself doing it well here, you can go out there and do it well. Does everybody get that? Okay, can I show you a scripture just to prove that point? How many want to read the Bible some more? Amen. You guys aren't done with the Bible yet, are you? Okay, go to Matthew chapter 6, verse 33. Matthew chapter 6, verse 33. I want you to see that Jesus taught us this principle of what goes first in life. Somebody say first. Look at what Jesus said. Red letters, that means it's the man talking. He said, but seek what? First, his kingdom and his righteousness and all these things will be given to you as well. The kingdom of God is where upon this earth? It's in the church. Not just in a building called Metro Praise International, but wherever God's people are in the various locations. They're meeting this morning. But let's just say you just took away all the locations. You just had people everywhere. That's still the church, right? We don't need a building for it to be the church because before there was buildings, there was a church. 
And so you could take away the buildings like they do in China, and you still have a church. Church in China is illegal unless you register with the state and do it their way. So there's this house church movement where there's over like 100 million of them, they say, on the high end to 50 million on the low end, meeting together in house churches, doing the work of the ministry throughout their everyday lives, praying for their coworkers, being influential wherever they are. And see, this is what Christ is saying. Seek first my kingdom or the kingdom of my Father. Put that first and his righteousness. And righteousness simply means doing the right thing. So I'm going to seek first God's kingdom and live my life the right way. So if I'm a caller uh, taking calls at Comcast Cable, how many have ever had to call into Comcast, Comcast Cable and talk to those people? How many know they need Jesus? How many know we want those callers to be part of the church? Amen. We want them to be Christian because when I got my bill of $300, I want to know what's going on. How did this happen? And they're like, sir, don't raise your voice. And I'm like, I'm not raising my voice. You haven't heard me raise my voice yet. For some of you, it's AT&T, you know, whatever, you know. But how many know they're at the job, if there is a Christian, they're in the kingdom of God, and they should do things the right way. And when they do it the right way, it brings me conviction. You know, they're like, you had 10 movies, you know, like uh, you, you bought four Shrek movies, and you did this and you did that. That's why your bill is 300. I'm like, oh, okay, sorry. I guess I'll go back to doing what I was doing now. Have a good day. Seriously, I mean, you get convicted when you act a fool or act, you know, out of anger or whatever, and then you, you see that that's not right. And so wherever you are in life, people may not be treating you right, but put first God's kingdom and his righteousness, and things will go better for you in the long run. Amen? All right, let's go to the message now because last week we talked about why we should love God and how we should love God. So there's a difference between why and how, and I want to review that so that we can learn the same thing in regards to loving people. I just don't want to go right to the how to love people. Oh, you love people by giving them back rubs, by inviting them over to lunch, by doing a lot of things like that. Okay, that's great. That's how you can love people. But why should we love people? Why should we want to give them back rubs, take them out to Fogo de Chow? Come on, somebody. Why should we do all of that? Well, let's learn the difference first between a how and a why for uh, those of you who weren't here last week and review for everybody else. A how question is how something works and it has to do with function. Everybody say function. Thank you. And that's knowledge learned and discovered by science. Now, all of us are scientists in one way or another. We discover the functions of things. And I gave you this example of me riding a bike. So let's say today, negative 17 with the wind chill, you see me riding my bike, right? You, you would be able to know how I am riding my bike. You could put it together. How many know how a bike works, right? There are gears that you turn with your feet that make the wheels go round. You balance it with your weight. You turn the front wheel and it steers and it puts you in a certain direction, right? That's how the bike works. But would you know why I am riding a bike by science? No, because a why question or why information is something that has to do with purpose. Everybody say purpose. And that's knowledge learned and discovered by revelation. So the only way that you would know why I'm riding a bike is if you asked me, Joe, why are you riding a bike? And there could be multiple reasons. Like I said, I could have taken some of Nancy's pain medication by accident when I was, was grabbing for Advil, and I could be high as a kite thinking it's normal riding your bike. 
Right now it's 17 degree weather. You could be like, you know, we need to get you home, Pastor. We need to get you home. We need to help you. I could be riding a bike. I could be riding a bike because somebody just stole my car, and then I, I found myself in some movie-type scenario, and I'm, they're chasing me with the car, and I'm, I'm running in and out of houses and, and, or at backyards and stuff, and all of a sudden I go into somebody's shed, and I pick up some random bike, and then now you see me riding a bike. That could be why. It, it could be why because I'm a crazy gringo like how I see these white people around here literally on the way here jogging, jogging at Portage Park in this weather. I'm like, dear God, man. I'm like, what is wrong with you? Export is right there. Just go right into export. But no, they have to put on their face masks, put on a, and show like I'm a jogger. Everybody look at me. It's negative 17, but I'm a jogger. And it's like, I could just be proving a point. So how questions are answered by science, hard data, things you examine with microscopes, telescopes, or mechanical engineering, right? But why questions are discovered through revelation. Now think about this as we get to the big God question, uh, the big God scenario here. How babies are born, man can, can pretty much give you a good answer. Right? They can look at a microscope and they can say the sperm with the egg and then it, you know, then it, it comes together and that's pretty much all I know. And then something else happens and a lot of other things happen. And then, and then the baby comes out, right? So that we have nurses and doctors and people like that. You guys would know what happens next. You would know all the stages. And that's great. You, you can tell me how it happens, but can you tell me why it happens? And somebody may try to be, you know, a little smart aleck and be like, well, it's because, you know, organisms need to reproduce. Okay, well, why do organisms need to reproduce? Oh, because of evolution, Pastor. Oh, well, why does evolution happen? Oh, because of the Big Bang. But why did it bang, right? You see what I'm saying? You, you know, people who think they're so smart with their scientific answers can't even give a scientific answer to why science works. Can you show me through science why science works? Hello? You can't. You can't show me with science why science works. And so now you get left with these big why questions, like why is there something rather than nothing? Why is there existence? Why is there consciousness? Why is there life? Why is there life? Why are we all not rocks? Okay? And so this is where God reveals to man through revelation why babies are born. Because he was there before there were babies. He was there before there was creation. And look at Deuteronomy 29, 29. The secret things belong to the Lord our God. The secret things, things that man doesn't know, that belongs to God. You want to know why things are the way they are? Those are secret things. That belongs to the Lord our God. But the things revealed to us and to our children forever, those are the things we know that we may follow all the words of this law. So when God started speaking to us, he said, I'm going to start telling you some of my secrets. Let me tell you how I created the world. Bang. I spoke, bang, it happened. Let me tell you how I created mankind in my image. Let me tell you the whys of the unit. Why is there evil? Because man made a choice to allow evil to come into a world and corrupt it. I created it for perfection. Man chose evil. And we talked about this last week. God had basically two choices of how he would create us. Would he create us in his image with the choice of good and evil? And out of that, allowing us to make bad decisions at time that would result in evil? Or would he create us as robots where we have no free will, we always worship him, and there's no evil? And so God, because of love, allowed the chance of there being evil so that we would choose him and not be robots that are just programmed to love him. Do you see the difference? 
For God to make free will creatures, they had to make free will decisions. And one of those decisions was good or evil. And now you see that world continuing on. And so whatever evil you see today, it's supposed to remind you that something is broken. Something doesn't work right. Something needs to be fixed. That's why we have a conscience and we know the difference, right? Because if I say on one end we can raise our children, you know, to do good things, or on the other end we can eat our children, how is it in your brain you know the difference, right? A bear doesn't know the difference. How is it you know the difference? That's a big why question. The, the why of that is answered by God because you're made in the image of God and your children are a part of that. And so you honor them by honoring, you, you teach them and raise them up by honoring God in the creation order that he set up. If we were just animals, there would be no difference. You know, if evolution was true, there is no difference between you eating your children and a bear eating its children. Right? Think about that. What would be the difference? We're all just molecules in motion. We're all just mindless matter in a sense. And it's an illusion that we matter here. We pretend, we play make-believe in this world to pretend we matter. But if evolution is true, we don't matter. But if God is true and God's word is true, then what we do here does matter. And the big why question is the answer to why we do what we do. Now, some people may say, well, I don't believe in God and I still do all these things. And what we call this is stealing from God. They disbelieve God in their in their mind they make an, an assessment say oh i don't believe in god but in their heart they truly still keep following the laws of god they keep following the principles of god and so they're a hypocrite to their own standards because if they truly believed what they believe they would be literally they would be psychotic they would be um they would be sadistic they would be wicked and evil to the uttermost even worse than hitler even hitler was was held back by a conscience because he he gassed people but he didn't gas his mother and a fellow nazis you know a person that would truly live by the standard of evolution, survival of the fittest, would look out for nothing but themselves. And thank God that we are not like that, amen? And that's actually the mercy of God, the thumbprint that still remains of the image of God in us, even though we have fallen so far. Now, here's the next part, and I talked about it a little bit last week, and I want to get into it uh, this week right here, and that is how now, uh, or rather why we should love people. Now, you guys know the difference between a how and a why? Are you ready to think about happy thoughts instead of crazy, psychotic people? How many want to think about Jesus again? Oh, Jesus loves us. Amen. There's a purpose for life. Amen. Now, here is the answer in a nutshell of why we should love mankind, why we should love people. It's because mankind is made in the image of God. Now, look at this, Genesis 1, 26 through 28, as I have filled in some of my commentary here so I don't do what happened in the second service, keep you for three hours, okay? So for the second service last week, I tried to explain this, and it was getting deep, and I had a board out here, and some of you were there, and it, it, just, it just got long, and it got cray-cray, okay? So here's the way I'm going to explain it for everybody to see. We are made in God's image. Everybody say, Imago Dei. The Imago Dei in Latin simply means the image of God. Now, look at Genesis 1, 26 through 28. If you have questions to why I put all this in the Bible, talk to one of us later at the end of the church, me or one of the leaders, and we'll help you to know that we're not just rewriting the Bible here. I'm just trying to help teach you and take some time here so that we can move on to how we love people. How we want to learn how we love people? Okay. But here's the deep stuff, okay? Genesis, in the beginning, God the Father said, let us, the Trinity, three in one, make mankind in our image. You see that plural? Now let me just help everybody. Everything in black is the word of God by itself. The red are the persons of God, and the white are the explanations of what I'm trying to show you of, of, of image here, okay? So I'll just read it through, and then I'll put some of my more commentary. I'll commentary on my own commentary, okay? 
God the Father said, let us, the Trinity, make mankind in our image. Three persons sharing one nature, the God nature. In our likeness, complex unity, tri-personality, tri-personal unity. So God the Son created mankind in his own image. In the image of God, the Trinity, he, Jesus, created them male and female, two persons. He created them. God the Son then blessed them and said to them, be fruitful, third person child, and increase in number. Did that help? <laughs> I'm a little nervous right now. Did that, did anybody get it? Okay, I'm still looking at some blank stares. Some of y'all ain't believing it yet, so I got a picture. Look at the cute picture right here. Okay, now don't believe everything you see in pictures, but I'm trying to help you. Okay, God is the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. Mankind is man, woman, child. Man, woman, child. Everything about mankind comes through man, woman, child. That is mankind. This reflects the plural image of God. Now, some may say, you know, in God's person, he has a father. We have fathers. And, 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 you know, then we have a child, a son. Then we have the spirit. So is the spirit the mother? And there's a weird cult that actually believes the Holy Spirit is the mother. So they believe the three persons are God the father, God the mother, and God the son. And the Holy Spirit takes on feminine attributes. That's weird and that's wrong, okay? The correspondence is not important to what title the persons have. It just happens to be we have a father and God is a father. And we have a child and God has a child. But that's not significant. The scriptures don't reveal to us that the Holy Spirit is a mother or a feminine figure. He has um, uh, male pronouns in the Bible. But this is what we do see is that God is multipersonal. He is tripersonal. And here's the understanding of the Trinity. We've talked about it in other sermon series entirely over a sermon. I'll help you with sending that to you. But everybody just look at this. What a person is in nature is their being. It's who they are in being. We are human beings. How many human beings do I have here today? Okay. In the human race, human beings have one person per being. How many of you are one person in your being right now? If you have multiple persons in your being, we normally send you to a special place, right? A special place. Like if there's like there's four of me living in here, Pastor. Okay, just come on with me. Come on, let me talk to all of you guys over here. Take them, help them. You know what I'm saying? Okay, but okay, but God is not like us. God in His one being, we are human beings. God is God being. In God's being, there are three persons that share the being of God. And a way to understand this would be like a three-dimensional object and a two-dimensional object. Just think of it like this, okay? When, oh, you know what? Can I just play the video for you guys so I don't keep getting Blake stares? I think I have time. How many want to see a video on the Trinity? Bring it on. Everybody say, bring it on. Bring it. <laughs> keep chanting. Keep chanting. <laughs> okay. You guys are good. Philosophy. It wasn't weird. No, it was. Okay, here it comes. Yeah, shut off the lights. I love you guys. Shut off these lights here. Put this one on blue. Make it look cool. Turn up the volume a little bit. A lot more. We you believe in a Unitarian God. Okay, let's start again. Put up the volume and watch this video. I've heard Christians struggle with explaining the a doctrine lot more. of the Trinity. Loud. Likewise, I've heard atheists and people who believe in Thank a Unitarian you. God attack the Trinity as confusing, illogical, and polytheistic. They often bring up the idea of God being Jesus and the Father and the Holy Spirit, yet all one being, doesn't seem to make sense. When I was agnostic, 
the Trinity didn't make much sense to me either. That was until I actually studied the concept of the Trinity and the attributes of God. In research, I saw that the Trinity did make sense, but I also discovered that the existence of a Unitarian God is actually the concept that is illogical. Only a Trinitarian God can account for the unique attributes that make God who he is. First, let me start by saying that the doctrine of the Trinity begins with the belief that the true God is not totally comprehensible. Any God we could fully understand and explain, like a Unitarian God, would be an entity that is no greater than what we are. A Unitarian once told me that God was just a spirit. Well, if God is just a spirit, he would be no greater than the angels, since that is all the angels are. Lucifer may have had a chance in the war in heaven if God was just a Unitarian spirit, because God would be on the same level as Lucifer. But God created the angels, so he must be more than just a spirit. So how can we learn who God is? By simply studying his attributes. Every monotheistic religion claims that God is omniscient. Well, if God knows all, then he must be able to see everything. And if God sees everything, then he must be everywhere at once, which would make God omnipresent. Now, if God is omnipresent, he would have to be greater than three dimensions, because three-dimensional beings and anything in the third dimension cannot be omnipresent. Therefore, for God to be omnipresent, he must be comprised of more than three spatial dimensions. Now, I'm not making this idea up. There are more spatial dimensions than the three we live in. At the end of the 19th century, they discovered the concept of hyperdimensions, which are realms that consist of more spatial dimensions than three. If God is omnipresent, he would have to consist of more than three dimensions and be hyperdimensional. How many dimensions does God consist of? Well, if you're going to take the Bible's word, then he is infinitely dimensional. Isaiah 40:28 says, The Lord is the everlasting God, the creator of all the earth. He never grows weak or weary. No one can measure the depths of his understanding. So what does God being hyperdimensional have to do with the Trinity? Well, allow me to explain. Hyperdimensions are not going to make sense to our finite minds. However, luckily, we can explain this using the example of taking a cube and trying to translate into a two-dimensional world. Take a look at this cube. Because we understand three dimensions, we understand the spatial parameters of this cube. But if we were to encounter a being living in a two-dimensional world, he wouldn't understand this cube at all. He would look at it and see it as just a square. We could then try to show him that it is actually a cube by turning it to show him another side. But his mind could not comprehend changes made in three-dimensional space. So to him, the change would look like this, the green square disappearing and the red square appearing. The two-dimensional being would then say, hey, that's a different cube. We would say, no, it's still the same cube. He would say, no, that can't be right because I see a different square. And we would say, well, yeah, it's a different square, but it's still part of the same cube. We could then show him all sides of the cube and tell him that all six squares he saw were all one cube. Yet all he would see is six squares disappearing and appearing before him. He would not see the cube rotating from one side to the other, so he would not see the cube in its entirety or be able to imagine the physics and the shape of the cube because it exists in a higher dimension than he does. All he could do is trust our word that the six separate squares he saw were actually part of one object called a cube. So is this starting to sound familiar? This is exactly the same way God tries to explain himself to us. Clearly, he is omnipresent, meaning he is hyperdimensional and beyond three dimensions and beyond our spatial understandings. 
So God is explaining his form to us in hyperdimensional terms, where the physics allow beings to be more than one person. Yet we are still thinking in terms of three-dimensional laws, where all beings must only be one person. But since God is beyond the third dimension, he would have to be greater than it, meaning it would only make sense for him to be more than a Unitarian being, like we are. Now how monumental is this? Well, 2,000 years ago, they didn't have the science of hyperdimensions like we do today. So they came up with the term Trinity to try to explain to the world what God had told us about himself. This is absolutely monumental, because when man makes up a religion, he makes up a God he can understand and make sense of. Only in the Bible do we see a God that is beyond three dimensions and beyond the understanding capacity of humans, a hyperdimensional idea that was unknown to people 2,000 years ago. This is why I came to understand that other monotheistic religions have an illogical view of God. When you actually take the time to evaluate the idea of God, only the God of the Bible makes sense. So now this brings up another question. If you're watching this and believe in a Unitarian God, you might be asking, why is God only three persons? Why not five, or ten, or a million persons? Amen. Let's well, give it up for simple. this dude. He did it. He Amen. He just say, Pastor, a whole lot of time. Three Praise God. All that is needed so the simple illustration that we get here is that we get the understanding that God is outside of our matter, space, and time. And as we only have one person and one being, God is tri-personal in his being. And so when he made mankind, he did make three expressions of his being, but he made them separate persons. So you see first the man, then out of the, uh, the man comes the woman. That's another expression of his image. And then when the two come together and procreate, they make a third, a child. And from there, they have the expression of a family. So the family is mankind. And that family is what represents God's image. So why should we love the human race? Because the human race is made in the image of God. How many can see that? Amen. Now let's go to the next cute picture as we move on, and then we'll get to how to love people. But I just want you to see it all together here, the Trinity through these three important verses. We've read Genesis 128 through 28. Uh, one, uh, Genesis 126 through 28. God the Father said, let us, the Trinity, make mankind in our own image. Three persons sharing one nature, the God nature, and our likeness, complex unity, tri-personal unity. So God the Son, see, God the Son then comes down and actually makes us. Jesus makes us in his image, and then in the image of God, the Trinity, he, Jesus, created them, plural, male and female, two persons, he created them. God the Son blessed them and said, be fruitful. That's that third person coming in there, and the family that comes from them and increase in number. Now look at John. This is the John is very closely related to Genesis chapter 1. John chapter 1 says, in the beginning was the Word. So he takes us there right in the beginning. And that Word is Jesus. And the Word Jesus was with God the Father. And the Word Jesus was God, fully divine like the Father. Does everybody get that? He, Jesus, was with God the Father in the beginning, and through him, Jesus, all things were made. Without him, nothing was made that has been made. That's why when I look at Genesis, I know it was Jesus forming the dirt because Jesus is the one who has made all things. Now look at verse 4. In him, Jesus was life, and that life was the light of all mankind. Father, mother, child. So who breathed into the dirt to give the dirt life? 
Jesus, Jesus is God the Son making man into the triune image of God. No one has ever seen God the Father, but the one and only Son, Jesus, who is himself God and is in closest relationship with the Father, has made him known. Now just nod your head and say amen because i got to keep going. Do you believe it? Okay, hopefully you do. Now look, Genesis chapter 1 verse 24 kind of ties it all together so you can see it. It says, that is why man... Number one, in this, like, I'm going to show you three persons. That man is a child, watch. That is why a man will leave his father, a second and third person, the mother, and is united to his wife, and then they become one flesh. That is the process of signifying that a child is going to, uh, this is the process in which a child is born, signifying the unity of persons. So you, you guys see that? A man will leave his father and mother. You could just simply say a child will leave his father and mother and then find a wife and have more children and start the process over. That's how mankind is in the image of God. Everybody go deep. So if you want to know more about it, look at the little charts that I made. Go back and watch the rest of that video that I'll put on Facebook as well. I'll tie it into these notes, actually, and then you can see it in completion. So the bottom line is this. Why should we love mankind? Why are we not just doing nice things for people? Because the whole world pretty much knows we should be nice to each other, but they don't know why. You know what I'm saying? They don't know why. Because bears are not nice to each other, and they're okay, they're okay being bears. But if someone murders somebody in our society, they go to jail. Why is that? You see, they don't know how to answer that, but Christians do. We can tell you why murder is wrong. is because that person is made in the image of God. We can tell you why abortion is wrong. is because that process of making a child is a part of the image of God. That is the important part there. Why is lying to each other wrong? Because we are lying to God-bearer, image-bearers. We're lying to God when we lie to man because man made God a conscious being to know the truth from a, a lie. So when you do that, you're doing that against God. Why should we not commit adultery? Why should there only be one husband and one wife? Because God created the two to procreate, to be in relationship. Other than that is breaking covenant, okay? And so I could go literally through all of the moral laws of God and show you all of them go back to his image. Male and male in a sexual union called same-sex union is not the image of God because the persons in the, in the Godhead are different persons. See, a male has the same components of the male, and that makes it not the image of God. That's why he created them male and female. How many want me to keep making the moral connections here? I'll be here all day long. The moral connections, the whole basis of why we love people is because we're made in the image of God. That's why you are the way you are. Can I hear an amen for that? And let me just show you this because I have to. Everybody say, review is for you. And look at your other neighbor and say, this is just the introduction. Hold on, the message is coming. It's just the introduction, guys. Come on, don't get all nervous on me now. I still got a lot to preach to you, okay? Now, I just want to show you this because I, I talked about it last week, and it's always so cool. You can go back over the notes, and you can see this handsome guy preach, okay, because that camera is for you too. Look at that guy right there. Okay, but I want to just show you guys this from last week because this is, once again, so important to remember as we get to know how to love people. But just to top on that, tap on that why one more time. Romans 11.36 says this, for from him. Everybody say, from him. And that's Jesus here. It's talking about for from Jesus and through him and for him are all things. Everybody say, from Jesus, through Jesus, for Jesus are how many things? Let's say it again, for from him and through him and for him are all things. Existence and creation are for Jesus, through Jesus, or from Jesus, through Jesus, 
and for Jesus. Life consciousness, consciousness and spirituality are from Jesus, through Jesus, and for Jesus. Morals and values are from Jesus, through Jesus, and for Jesus. Logic and reason are from Jesus, through Jesus, and for Jesus. Natural laws are from Jesus, through Jesus, and for Jesus. Science is from Jesus, through Jesus, and for Jesus. Mathematics are from Jesus, through Jesus, and for Jesus. And your little pyramid, your human flourishing, when you have all those things going on in your life, it's because it's for him, through him, it's from him, through him, and for him. Amen. That is God in us today. Praise God. Don't let anybody tell you any different. That is the reason why you are here. That is when you have your best day, it is because you are living out to the fullest the image of God. And when you have your worst day, it is because of sin corrupting that image of God, whether it's harm or things happening to you. That, you know, think of it like this. When you have your best day, that's why God created you. When you have your worst day, that's why Christ died for you. You see what I'm saying? God is correcting the wrongs. He corrected it at the cross, and today he's correcting it through us as we're living and breathing in him. Amen? Now look at your neighbor and say, let's get ready to rumble. Okay, let's look at the Bible, and now let's learn how we're going to love Jesus, uh, how we're going to love people. Go with me to Mark chapter 12, verse 28. And then when you're there, we're going to start off by doing something nice for each other. I, I just know i got to loosen you guys up a little bit. So when you guys get to Mark 12, somebody say, I'm there. Okay, those who are still getting there, say, hold it up. Okay, I'm waiting a few minutes, and then we're going to do what we need to do in this church to love each other. We're going to do it. We're going to, you guys know, some of you guys know what we're going to do. We're, we're going to bring out spirit fingers and jazz hands. Okay, you guys ready? Let's all stand up. Let's all stand up. We need some spirit fingers and jazz hands now, okay? Everybody throw up your hands and say, jazz hands, spirit fingers, don't fail me now. Now face this way and give that person a massage the shoulder that you're looking at. This way, that way, there you go. There you go. You want to give pastor a massage? No? Some of you don't want to touch, you're the wrong way. You won't touch pastor's shoulders, it's against your religion. Okay, a few more moments, come on. I'm going to, you're going to massage me, right, because she won't do it. Okay, everybody look up, man. Shake your hands around, go jazz hands. Spirit fingers, don't fail me now. Go in the other direction, face that way, massage your neighbor's shoulders. Oh, that feels good. Ashley is against massages. Oh, dude, can I take you home with me tonight? No one knows how to do it like a man. I'll tell you that. Woo, you may be seated. Thank you, sir. Oh, that felt good. That felt right. If that is wrong, I don't want to be right. Amen. Amen. Oh, praise God. Amen. I love Jesus. So we're just, we're just loosening each other up. Mark 12, 28. One of the teachers of the law came and heard them debating. This is Jesus with the Jewish people. They, this guy, he's really smart. He's like a, a religious lawyer. He notices that Jesus had given them a good answer, and he asked Jesus. He said, Jesus, out of all of the commandments, which is the most important? So, so Jesus, there's 613 commandments in the Jewish religion. That's a lot of them. Tell me which one is the best. Now, Jesus is the ultimate 
um, simplifier and the one that taught us from the very beginning it was always about relationship, not about religion. And so look at how he reduces all of these laws of the Old Testament to the love uh, that, he, that comes from his heart because God is love. Look at this. The most important one Jesus answered is this. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your what? Heart and with all your soul and with all your mind and with all your strength. It's all about love. He says, this is the first and greatest commandment. Love God. Love Him with everything on the inside of you. And then the second is this. The second greatest commandment is love your neighbor as yourself. There is no commandment greater than these. And now you see this. Love your neighbor as yourself. So I can't love you more than I love myself. Now, that may sound vain to some of us in this world because we, we see a lot of self-love, but you know what? That's not really love. That's called vanity because if people really love themselves the way God had loved them, they wouldn't be spending all that money on themselves because they would know that true love for self is a giving love, like that, that, that slogan for goodwill, the goodwill feeling, you know? So if you really loved yourself, you would love the feeling of giving away love, giving away generosity and being kind. So those who are are not really loving themselves. We can use those terms because, you know, it makes sense. Like, don't love yourself like that, you know. But in, in actuality, what they're doing is lusting after themselves. They're, they're vain. They're prideful. They're self, selfish. And so true love for oneself is a love that recognizes who you are and who God is. And go back to John as we see, as we saw at the beginning here, is he says, my command is this, love each other as I have loved you. So not only can I love you, I, I, not only can I not love you greater than the revelation that I have of my own love for myself, but I can't love you more than the revelation I have of God's love for me. So that's why you see love not really working out in marriages today because they don't have God's definition of love. That's why you see children not obeying their parents or parents abusing their children because it's not God's definition of love. That's why you see uh, in our government people say, I love America, but they're still corrupt. They're still doing bad things. It's because it's not God's kind of love. So just write these two things down. I can only love people to the revelation that I know God loves me. And I can only love those people with God's love to the revelation that I love myself, to the understanding that I have of myself. Because there are Christian people, trust me, and some of you may be here right now, where you actually say, I know God loves me, and God is cool, and I love God. But you don't know how much he really loves you, and you don't make it personal. And so because of that, you don't really receive it for yourself and then hurt people, hurt people, though you know God is love. Because you've never personalized it and looked at yourself in the mirror and said, gosh darn it, Jesus loves me. I'm special. You know, and just did something like you saw on a Saturday Night Live thing. Most of you probably don't remember. That was like, was that Guy Smiley or who was that? Stuart Small, thank you. And some of us don't remember that, but it was a funny little skit that would, you know, get people to think about, oh, like, you know, I love myself. But we don't have that self-love on our own origin. We have it in the origin of God. The reason why I look at myself and I say I'm fearfully and wonderfully made, when I look at myself in the mirror or I say, God, thank you for blessing me, it's because God made me in his image. Let's see if we can find Stuart Small. Is that his name? Stuart what? Smiley. Let's see. Thank you. See, I got some older folks in here. It's like, it's like if you're 30 years old, like you're older here. You know what I'm saying? Here we go. So if you guys don't remember this, 
I'm good enough, I'm smart enough, and doggone it, people like me, okay? So you don't have to be weirdy to do that, to, to be like, oh, I'm like, oh, God loves me, you know, and be weird about it. But you need, to be, you need to be real about it. Because if you don't know God loves you and then you don't love yourself, you will not function in love. And you're not being obedient to God. So some people will be like, I'm going to be so humble and, and not love myself. No, that's not humility, that's pride. See, there's two forms of pride. One is building yourself up above God and the knowledge of God, like Satan did, saying, I don't need God to love me. I'm in charge of my own destiny. See, that's, that is damnable hatred towards yourself because that will damn you. That is pride. And so you say, you don't need God. I don't need God, right? And then that is uh, that, that self-adorning pride. And then the other side of pride is this self-abasing pride, which is God never loved me. God doesn't love me like everybody else. I'm not lovable. You see, that's also pride and self-hatred, and that's also against the knowledge of God. So the true humility, the true Christ love that you should have for yourself and others is God loves me. He made me in his image. This guy is goofy, and I'm getting him off so we don't get distracted. God loves me. God made me in his image. God cares about me, and God made me to love others like how he loves me. And so I want to love my wife. I mean, let's just look at it quickly. Everybody say, show me in the Bible, Pastor. Okay, go quickly to Ephesians chapter 5. Go there quickly as we learn about uh, the marriage that God said for husbands to love their wives, we are to love as, the, uh, as Christ loves the church, husbands are to love their wives. Husbands are to love their wives as Christ loves the church. Let me just get here right here. I cannot get this to open. Hold on here. I'll get it here. There we go. Go to Ephesians chapter 5. We're shutting her down already. Light's going off. Closing time. Dun, 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 dun. Man, I shouldn't have played the video. No, I'm glad I played the video. How many are glad? Are you glad? Yes. Okay, the video helped. Okay. More videos, Pastor. More videos. Less talky from you. Less talky from you. <laughs> Go to Ephesians chapter 5 and look at how Christ tells husbands to love their wives. Look at it right here. For the husband, Ephesians 5.23, for the husband is the head of the wife as Christ is the head of the church, his body which he died for. Now as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit to their husbands and everything. Husbands, love your wives just as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her to make her holy, cleansing her by the washing with water through the word to present to her himself as to present her to himself as a radiant church without stain or wrinkle or any other uh, blemish but holy and blameless. Now watch this. In the same way See, this is how Christ loved the church. He has a holy love for her. He treats the church as his own body, as it's a part of him. In the same way, husbands ought to love their own wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. See, every adulterer doesn't love themselves. That's self-hatred. It's self-destruction. Don't let the world twist it on you with desperate housewives and, you know, that old school show with Eva Longoria to get you to think that's love, that's romance. No, adultery is self-hatred. Because if you really love yourself, you love your spouse as your body. If you don't love your spouse as your body, it's because you don't love yourself. Definition of love being God's. 
What you have for yourself is self-hatred, pride, selfishness. Does everybody get the, de the definition here of love from the Bible? Okay, amen. Now, let's learn how to love God. It's very simple. It is, I mean, how to love people. It doesn't take a lot uh, of time for me to explain it. So if I could get uh, Adam to come to the guitar, please, in closing. Think about this. This is a part of our church, what we've always believed. This is how we describe the love of God for people. Here's how we're going to love people. Number one, we're going to help them in their times of need. The Good Samaritan, if you go there in Luke 10, 25 through 37, you see that he helped the man that was injured, not because of anything the man could do for him, but because the man carried the image of God, and he treated the man as he would want himself to be treated. Go and do likewise. MPI Church, go and do likewise. Go find the hurting people in your world, and hurt comes in a whole lot of ways. Poverty comes in a whole lot of ways. Some are impoverished with no friends. They may have a lot of money, but no friends, right? Need comes in a lot of ways. Some people may have everything materially, but they need a friend. They may need love. Go find the needs of this world and go fill them. Go find the hurts of this world and go heal them. Somebody tweet that. <laughs> go find the needs of this world and fill them. Go find the hurts of this world and heal them. Go be the good Samaritan that God called you to be. In 1 John 3.16, it's synonymous or, or um, comparative to John 3.16. John 3.16 says, For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have everlasting life. 1 John 3.16 says, So because God has loved us like this, let us now lay down our lives for our brothers and sisters. We are to have a love that lays down our lives. Jesus laid down his life for us. Will you lay down your life for somebody else? My dad is a retired businessman, but he talked about as being a Christian, what was one of the greatest things he learned that were so, was so different than business is he said, the greatest thing that I learned is inconvenience for those who don't appreciate it. See, in business, to get with my dad, you had to set an appointment. If you didn't keep the appointment, my dad would just X you off and go on to the next customer, right? That's what he did. He was a financial planner. But see, in the church, when my dad would meet somebody and say, hey, can I help you? Come to my house at 5. They wouldn't show up. But then my dad couldn't say, I'm done with you. My dad would have to go back and be like, well, you want to meet next week? You know, kept reaching out. And my dad said to me, he said, Joe, I understand the difference between what you do as a pastor and what I did in business is it's, it's sacrifice to your own discomfort. And I was like, yeah, dad, that's the difference because that's what Jesus did for us. It's, it's a sacrifice to help and love people. People don't always say thank you. People don't always appreciate what you do. Sometimes they use and abuse you, and, and you have to use wisdom. You know, I don't go out making it rain over every homeless person. Like, hey, man, you want some? I'm going to make it rain. Jesus loves you, and so do I. You know, like making it rain. They're like, ah, money. You know, it's like, no, I'm like, I'm going to love you in the best way that I would want to be loved. Because if I was homeless, I would want a shelter, and I would want life skills and a hand up, not a hand out. That's how I would want to be loved. Hello. 
This is how we know what love is. Jesus laid down his life for us, 1 John 3.16, and we ought to lay down our lives for our brothers and sisters. If anyone has material possessions and sees a brother or sister in need but has no pity on them, how can the love of God be in that person? Dear children, let us not just love with words or speech, but let us love with actions and in truth. That's why the truth has to be with your action and action with truth. you got to do it the right way in a way that honors God. That's why I don't make it rain over homeless people. I'll help them to make those life changes that they need. And then here's another way that we love God. It's the two main ways, helping them in their time of need and then preaching the gospel to them, preaching the good news. Because how many know you can have a good set of teeth and, and went to the dentist and still die and go to hell? How many know you can still have a, you can have a nice house and go to hell? So if all I do is help people, help people, help people, but I only give them the social benefits of Christianity and never give them the actual gospel of Christianity, then they're going to lose in the end. They're going to lose. I just don't want to do dentistry in Zimbabwe. I just don't want to go to the inner city and pick up kids for Royal Rangers and Impact as we do on Wednesday. I just don't want to support mission work in the Philippines so they can have clean water. All of those things are great. But I also want to preach the gospel to them. Tell them about the love of God that has transformed my life and that will transform their life. That love of God that is better than silver or gold. Amen? And here we see Paul in Romans chapter 1, verse 16. He summarizes it so well at the beginning of this powerful letter in Romans. He says, for I am not ashamed of the gospel. See, don't be ashamed of the gospel on your job. It doesn't mean make your job a, pul a pulpit to preach to everybody because that's not why they came. But don't be ashamed of the gospel, right? Express your love for God as they express their love for sports. Express your love for what God is doing on this earth as they express their love for their vacation. You don't have to be ashamed of the gospel. Why? Because it is the power of God that brings salvation to who? Everyone who believes. First to the Jew, then to the Gentile. For in the gospel, not in religion, not in church membership, in the gospel, the righteousness of God is revealed. A righteousness that is by faith from first to last. That last person that gets saved is going to get it the first, the, like the way the first person did, right? Just as, as it is written, the righteous will live by faith. You see, everybody knows things are not right because the image of God has been defiled because of evil. But when you put your trust in God, on the inside, things start to change. And you get to see a peekaboo of heaven and the way it's supposed to be and the right ways that God does things. And you sense it in your heart. The world will change on Judgment Day, but your heart changes in the gospel. It's revealed. Has anybody had the gospel of righteousness revealed to you? A changed life, right attitudes, right affections, right sexuality, right relationships, right uh, management of money. Righteousness is revealed. And I love the book of Proverbs that talks about the righteous shining brighter and brighter and brighter to the full light of day. Hallelujah. The S-O-N sun is inside you today, shining and saying, draw men to me. Draw men to me. Use your gifts. Use your talents and draw men back to me. Let men see the righteousness of God in you. Amen. And so in closing today, I want to just ask you to look at something that you may miss every day. Just You may miss this. And that is, there are no ordinary people in your world. Everybody is an image bearer of God with a precious soul. Nobody's ordinary. Everybody 
It's extraordinary. C.S. Lewis, Lewis wrote it like this. It is a serious thing to live in a society of possible divine sons and daughters of the God Most High. To remember that the dullest, most uninteresting person you talk to may one day be a creature, if you were to see it now, would be, you'd be tempted to worship. Or else a horror and a corruption such as you meet now, if at all, only in a nightmare. You see, when that image of God, that image of God goes to hell, it will be more hideous than demons. But when that image of God is glorified, it will be more glorious than angels. You're with those kind of people right now, those who will either suffer in damnation or those who will be glorified. You are that right now. You are a son or daughter of, the, of God Most High. All day long, in some degree, we are helping each other to one or the other of these destinations. Nobody's ordinary. You're either helping people to become worse than the demons or helping them shine brighter than the angels. What are you doing in this life? In light of all these overwhelming possibilities, it is with the awe and the circumspection proper to them that we should conduct all of our dealings with one another, all friendships, all loves, all play, all politics. There are no ordinary people. You have never talked to a mere mortal. No one you've ever talked to is a mere mortal. They will live forever, and their life is to ours as a gnat. All the things they have are like gnats compared to their mortality. Don't get distracted by people's riches. It's just like a gnat. It's going to go away. But it is in mortals whom we joke with, work with, marry, snub, and exploit. Immortal horrors or immortal everlasting splendors. You work, you live, you abide, you community with immortals. We are immortals. We are the image bearers of God draw people towards that image and how do we love I don't have time to read it all but how do we love we love in this way love is patient love is kind does not envy does not boast it is not proud does not dishonor others it's not self-seeking it's not easily angered it keeps no records of wrongs hello married couples come to marriage life group today it's going to bless you we can learn all about that right forgiveness Slow to anger, right? Love does not delight in evil, but rejoices with truth. It always protects, always trusts, always hopes, always perseveres. Love never fails. This is the promise that we have today. Love never fails. Everything else will fail, but love won't. I want to encourage us to be lovers of mankind because they are made in the image of God. Would you stand up and give God a great big hand clap of praise? Love you, Jesus. Would you just close your eyes right now and tell Jesus that you love him? Come on, we love you, Jesus. We love you because you first loved us. And today, God, we ask you, before we leave out of here, to search our hearts and to see if there's any hatred in us, any unforgiveness in us that needs to change. As the band come, as altar workers come, right now, congregation, would you search your heart and say, Jesus, show me who I really am. Show me who I really am. Do I have a heart of love for others? Do I have a heart of compassion? If you're bitter towards anybody in an attitude of prayer right now, ask the Lord to forgive you as you forgive them. Right now, come on, say, Lord, I don't justify what they did. I don't 
forget what they did, but I forgive what they did. And forgive me for hating them. Come on. Who today needs to forgive others in their life? To love. To love. You don't want that person to go to hell. You don't want that person to go to hell. Yes, you want them to change. Yes, you want them to come and apologize one day. But listen, you don't want them to go to hell. The Bible says pray for them. Pray for your enemies. Pray that they'll repent. Pray that they'll change. Right now, look at your heart and see if there's any hatred, any bitterness, any unforgiveness. Lord, we ask you to do it right now. Show us, Lord. Show us to love like the way you love. Now, how many of you may say, I don't have bitterness or, or you know, unforgiveness, but sometimes I, I don't love the way God wants me to love. Sometimes I'm not patient with my wife. I'm not patient with my kids, my family. Right now, say, Lord, increase my love. Increase my love. Where do you need to be increased in the most right now? In your marriage? With your friends? With your children? With your parents? Co-workers? Don't come into this world. Don't go about this world with a thimble full of love. Come with a river of love. Let the river of God's love flow through you. Let the river of God's love flow through you. Come on, somebody. Do you believe it? Do you believe it today? I need the river of God's love. I don't have enough. Flow through me, Jesus. Flow through me, Jesus. Oh, Jesus, I want to love others like you love me. Right now, pray for three areas of your life. You want to flow like a river of love right there. You want love to flow like a river. Three areas right now. Come on, say, Lord, Lord, send your love in my marriage, Jesus. Send your love in my children. Sends your love on my job. Sends your love through me to my neighbors. Oh, it's all about love. It's all about love. It's all about love. Come on, say it's all about love. It's all about love. Pray for those areas of your life right now. Let's not be in a hurry. Pray a little bit, saints. Talk to the God of love. It's all about love. It's all about how you love me. It's all about how you love me. Help me to love others the way you love me. Oh, I want to love like the way you love me. Yes, 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 yes. Before we go, this, this spontaneous song, help me to love like you love me.
about you. Somebody should grab their wife's hand or husband's hand and sing it out. Come on, sing it with somebody you love today. Today, God, before we walk out of this room, we want to make sure we are full of your kind of love and able to give it away in abundance. I know as a pastor, sometimes I feel like I don't have any more love to give. But that's only because I rely upon my own strength. And I know there's marriages here that say, I don't know, I don't have that much more to give. And there's parents here that are frustrated with their kids. And they may feel like, I don't have that much more to give. But God, you're teaching us the love that we give comes from you and not from us. It's your love flowing through us. And I pray, God, we get all that we need today so we can give it away. So we can give it away to everybody we meet and to love them the way you loved us. Help me give it away. Even when I don't feel like it. Even when I don't think they deserve it. Help me to give it away. Today, Lord, Let it be a new day of love. Not of that phony love, not of that silly love, but real transforming love. Daryl, would you pray for us to be dismissed in his love today? Thank you. Father, thank you for your love and kindness, God, your tenderness, the strength that you give us, the love that you've given us, God, the compassion that we should have for each other, God. We need more of your love, God. We need to love each other more, God. Father God, may you bless us throughout this week. Give us safe travels in the name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. Let's give it up for Jesus. Amen. God bless you. If you need some love or prayer, would you come as you go today? God bless you. Have a great week. If you need prayer, come on down. God bless you. If you need prayer for anything, join us up at the front. Otherwise, have a great week.